Hey everyone, I'm Jesse Sparks, host of the new podcast, The One Recipe, from the team behind The Splendid Table. This pod is all about that one recipe that you lean on. The one you share with friends, the one you make when you need a little love, and the one you know will work every single time. Every week, I talk with chefs and gifted cooks from all over the world about their one and the story behind it. We're here to help you build your kitchen library one dish at a time. Follow The One Recipe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey listeners, before we get into today's episode, we want to give a bit of a trigger warning. In this episode, we discuss bipolar 2 disorder, clinical depression, and suicidal ideation. We realize that might be tough for some of our listeners. If you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis or emotional distress, please call or text Suicide and Crisis Lifeline by dialing or texting 988. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline offers 24-7 call, text, and chat access to trained crisis counselors who can help people experiencing suicidal thoughts, mental health crises, or any other kind of emotional distress. People can also dial 988 if they're worried about a loved one who may need crisis support. Remember, we are all in this together. The world is a dumpster fire. I'm Amy. And I'm Grace. And we want to fucking hell. We're comedy writers in Los Angeles, so we're taking those bad news lemons and making them into lemonade, Beyonce reference. We talk about cultural moments we love. Talk to people we adore. Crushes we have. And self-care we stand. During these trying times, we all need a show that focuses on joy. This is The Antidote. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We are in such a good mood today, you know. Truly. I'm wearing my Bob Marley shirt from Ah! our times in Jamaica. Literally the most beautiful times were had. And here's the thing. It's been raining a lot in Los Angeles. And so getting to, like, remember the beauty of a sunny beach has been really nice. <laughs> yeah. And then also just remembering the food, girl. The food, because that shit was so good. Like, I remember I had I had the best oxtails I've ever had in my life. Oh my it was like perfectly spiced, you know. I try mm. to be a little pescatarian when I'm here in LA, but when I was in Jamaica, mm-hmm. I was just like, fuck it. We eating everything. We eating everything. So, uh, it was so good. Oh, my God. I keep thinking Do you about remember? That. I had curried lobster. I never had that before. You did. I'm not like a huge lobster person because it's usually just served with butter and I'm like lactose intolerant. So I'm sometimes kind of like, I can't eat this. And then sometimes I'm like, let's go off. I'm going home right after. So <laughs> I'm like, but in Jamaica, lobster is made all these different ways. And I was like, I've never had curried Lobster, mm-hmm. and when I tell you I could have licked this plate clean, yeah. like I was like, "What the fuck?" And I bet the curry still had butter in it, but for some reason, it didn't make me sick. It just made me happy. I know it's just like the things that we eat here, and just the fruit, the freshness of the fruit. Everything yeah. tasted good, and then we got to do some fun things. We went ATVing. Yes. There's so many moments, and just the best of it was just spending time with my girls. It was just great. It was fantastic, and even though we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, we realized like we didn't fully recap and it's so nice to just like actually remember especially like it's cold in LA I'm just like it's nice to just like ah there's a paradise we can go to and get away from here LA's <laughs> usually really nice though <laughs> like it's just because it's winter yeah but LA is beautiful but like it's nice to have another little paradise to go to yeah it was so relaxing and rejuvenating Mm-hmm. And speaking of rejuvenation and wellness, today's guest, mental health advocate and author, Bossy Ikpi, talks with us about the importance of factoring in recovery time when making plans as an introvert 
or an extrovert. And we both introverts, so we love this combo. (laughs) Yes, and I can't wait for y'all to hear a conversation with her. Uh, So, Amy, I know we want to mentally stay in the paradise of Jamaica, but we cannot. We are back here on American soil with all the shit that comes with it. So let's get into it. Yep, we sure are. (sighs) Starting up top with our bummer news of the week. Rolling Stone's 200 Greatest Singers of All Time list has been released. And um, it's missing some incredible artists. And then there are also some people, not only people who weren't on the list, but people who are a little too low. So some singers whose names are not on the list at all, which are like alarming to me, are Celine Dion, Pink, uh, Jennifer Hudson, uh, Janet Jackson, Tony Bennett, Dion Warwick? I'm like, wait a second, why aren't they on here? Come on, Jennifer Hudson, John Legend and Rita Moreno are EGOTs and they're not on the list. And then other people like were on the list, but were too low, like Jasmine Sullivan, Christina Aguilera, Carrie Underwood, Kelly Clarkson. They're like not even in the top 100. I'm like, Jasmine, in those runs, you better put some respect on her name. Well, here's the thing. I didn't read the 200, but I read the top 10. And I have to say, I agree with most of it. I'm choosing violence Mm. today. So Mm. uh, here's the thing. I feel like there's people on the top 10 that don't have the strongest voices or the most technically amazing voices. But what I think the top 10 had was the most unique voices. So like, take for example, Whitney Houston. Nobody has a voice like Whitney. Like you hear... Uh, Billie Holiday. You could close your eyes. Anybody knows that's Billie Holiday. Sam Cooke. Like all these people in the top 10, I actually agreed with most of it because it felt like those are unique voices that are not imitating anybody else. That's how I feel about Celine. Celine Dion. (laughs) And I'm your lady. Come on. Nobody has her voice. Like Celine Dion, a song comes on the radio. You were like, that's Celine. (laughs) And so I felt she just should have been on the list. Is she not on the list at all? She's not on the list at all. And I'm like, that's fucking weird. Like she gave us my heart will go on. Come on. I I don't know. But I I will say that I probably would have flipped Whitney Houston and Aretha because Aretha was number one and Whitney was number two. I probably would have flipped those two. But I was happy that Beyonce made the top 10 because I feel like people do not recognize her vocal ability. And I think that she is an incredible vocalist. Uh, I don't know. I I feel like everybody's going to have their opinion. Again, all these lists, no matter what they are, they're very subjective. It's like whoever is task with coming up with this list. You're never going to make everyone happy. So, yeah, but I want to be happy. (laughs) (laughs) Also, we did a fun game in Jamaica because the list came out like a few weeks ago where we, in the car ride, we played the most iconic songs from the top few and we were just going down the list. And that was like really, really great to hear all their voices back to back and hear how iconic they were. But it also revealed to me that there were some missing, according to Amy. Some some errors (laughs) in the order. (laughs) But that's not the only bit of bummer news we're discussing. Next up is actor James McAvoy, who has said that he's planning to step back from acting. There's a source in The Guardian that said that McAvoy, age 43, who you might recognize from the X-Men franchise, Filth, M. Night Shyamalan, Split, Glass, is Dark Materials, also one of my favorite James McAvoy movies, Atonement. He Mm -hmm. said that he's stepping back to spend more time with his family as he just had a son in November with his new wife, 
Lisa Liberati. And I want to say why this is a bummer to me. To me, I'm like, yeah, go ahead, step back. That's fine. But he also, when he was asked, he's like, the industry is great and it's giving me an amazing life, but it survives on the sacrificial nature of performance. The film industry or the TV industry, they're just using you up. And he went on further to say, it's really film and telly. It just fucking drains you. Um, And that to me was the part that was a bummer because he's right. He's right. There have been so many artists and actors and even directors and writers that have been talking about the emotional and physical toll of doing this craft. Mm. And I'm like, What's being done about it? Can we talk about making this job less grueling? I just watched that documentary that said that James Cameron used to have 80-hour work weeks when he was making the movie Abyss. And it was like he had people in pools of freezing water for 80 hours a week. And I'm like, that ain't right. So can we talk about actually following the rules of the guild set? It's so crazy that this job that is art is using them up and using us up. It makes me sad. Yeah, and I feel like things have gotten worse in the past few years. I feel like, you know, with this huge demand for content now, I think that they're pushing on all of us harder and more and we're expected to do more shows a year and like do more, 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 more. And I feel like people look at Hollywood, like there's so many times when I'll be on a freezing ass set using Mm -hmm. the honey wagon. Mm -hmm. If y'all don't know what that is, it's a trailer toilet that's like on the side of the road that's usually pretty gross. Um, And I was just like, wow, everybody thinks that Hollywood is glamour. But what they don't know is these, you know, 12 to like 20 hour days at times, you know, everybody's Mm -hmm. exhausted. You're doing that five days a week. And then on the weekend, Mm -hmm. it goes so quick because you're just like trying to recover from what's been Mm -hmm. going on in the week. You got to run errands and stuff. Like production is grueling. It doesn't matter who you are. It's a grind. It doesn't matter if you're fucking Will Smith, Viola Davis, or it doesn't matter if you're like a background actor. It's Mm -hmm. all really, really grueling on not only actors, but writers who are supervising set, directors who are directing. It's really, really, really a grind. And people at the bottom, the people who are trying to get up, like the new actors, the new talent, it's even harder on them. It feels like there are these organizations, these guilds that are supposed to support our health as we move forward in our creative careers. But it does feel like we're stuck in a system that is kind of old for the amount of mental health care we now realize we need. And so what I love about James McAvoy is that he's talking about it. And like lots of other people have, like it's like Simone Biles saying like, I'm not going to compete. Talking openly about mental health is so helpful. I just hope that with time we can actually do things about it. So it's not just the highest of the high who step away and then we have a conversation and move back to it being a grind. Yeah. And also just to say it, as hard as it is for us above the line um, mm-hmm. people, which are the actors, directors, writers, yes, um, multiply that by 10. And that is what our crew, our grips, our gaffers, our hair and makeup. I'm so glad you brought up crew. I still remember the day as a staff writer when I was like, bye to one of the crew members. They're like, bye. And they were heading back in. I was like, where are you going? Do you want to walk to the parking lot? And he's like, I have to pack up everything. And I was like, oh. (laughs) I still remember that first time when I was like a baby writer being like, wait, they have to keep working? And I'm like, this is fucked up. (laughs) And I'm like, they're also creating art. They're also storytellers. They're also artists. And yeah, it's just like, 
Why don't we have shorter days? Yeah. So at least they can have 12 hour days because like I've been on a show that was 10 hours. And let me tell you, everybody was happy. Everybody was happy. Everybody was chilling. Morale was high. Yeah. So I hope these conversations are going to help us move towards actual changes in creative industries because it would be really great. Anyway, how do you feel after discussing the bummer news, Grace? (sighs) Not great. I mean, the stuff with the Rolling Stone stuff, you know, it's, that's all fun, <laughs> it's but, you know, just the, thinking about our industry and like how hard we're asking people to work. Um, it made me sad. It gave me flashbacks to this past year. How about you? I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> Same flashbacks was had. <laughs> okay, let's get into this antidote then. So this is the segment where we tell you about the culture we consumed and things we did this week that made us feel better about the bummer news. What was your antidote this week, Grace? Okay, so I'm going to admit something to y'all, okay? Amy already know, and everybody who know me know, but... <laughs> This bitch don't really cook like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, Her oven is I don't a closet. Do that. Like, I'm very busy. I'm like juggling a lot of things. So, you know, a lot of times I do take out. At one point, I was doing some meal delivery services right before I went to New York this fall to work on production. So, you know, I find ways to feed myself, <laughs> but none of them really involve turning on my oven. Or turning on my stove. So once I got back from Jamaica, I was just like, listen, it's a new year. I just want to focus on health. I'm not like worried about losing weight or anything. I felt so good and energized and happy in Jamaica. I was just like, let's keep this good feeling going. And, you know, food is a large part of that. So I actually went to the grocery store. And I bought ingredients. And so I made some roasted root vegetables. Mm. And then I also made some jerk salmon. And when I tell you, my little palate was so happy. I was just like, I should actually cook a little bit more. I love that. Yeah, in these moments where I have a little bit more time in my life, it might be nice to actually cook something. And I, I forgot, I actually got skills. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I was like, oh, I have forgotten that I actually am a good cook. I'm Gracie Crocker over here, okay? Gracie Crocker in the house. (laughs) So what was your antidote this week, Amy? Well, girl, you know me. I'm a little bit granola. I love like ritual and like setting intentions (laughs) and affirmations. Like I have this side of me that it, despite being very like business straight laced, like (laughs) I do have a side of me that's very woo woo. And the new year always makes me want to like tap into ritual. Mm -hmm. And I do a thing where I don't necessarily do it on the first of the year. I just do it when it feels Mm -hmm. right for me in January. Like there's always like a day where I'm like, it is time. Where my body just knows it's the day for ritual. (laughs) And that day came this week. And I just really was like, oh, it is time. And so I woke up early and I lit sage candles around my house and selected some like really like positive songs on a playlist, some songs that have always put me in a good mood. And um, Mm -hmm. I played them and I did light some sage. I know there's been conversations around like whether or not uh, we should be using sage from Native American communities. Um, This is sage that I've I've had for many, many, many years um, that someone gifted to me. So um, I I didn't go out and buy sage or anything, but I I had it in my house. And I walked through my house and I thanked it for nesting me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I spoke like just like ritual into the house and walked all over the house and kind of just vibed out. 
<laughs> for like a good half hour. Yeah. And the other thing I do is I always open a window or a door on every floor to sort of let Aaron. And it was crazy because it was raining when this was happening. So it's like pouring rain outside. And of course, it's kind of splashing in my windows, but it just made it mm-hmm. feel very clean. And like the new energy was really happening. Like I was literally being washed clean. So I just oh. love the ritual of like New Year bring new energy into your house. What I say, I tend to say something that's a thank you to my house and then like an intention. And so Mm -hmm. that was what I did. And it made me feel so good. And then the other thing is because of the candles throughout the day, anywhere I went in my house, I would just be smelling a little puff of sage, like, you know, and I'd just be smelling Mm -hmm. it in the kitchen, smelling it in the bathroom, smelling it in my office. And I was like, this is so nice to like, just like the reminders there for like almost 48 hours. Mm -hmm. I kept getting the reminder that I had done this ritual, which is kind of Mm -hmm. like, like a Pavlovian way to just like feel good, you know? Um, So that that was my antidote this week. And it made my house and me just feel very at peace this whole week, which was needed, necessary, and um, I'm very grateful for it. Thank you, house. Thank you, Yay, that's wonderful. And I think it is super important, especially after like a lovely vacation like we had to like, okay, we're re-entering the year, we're Mm re-entering work, we're re-entering this new space and let's like start this new season with clean and fresh and happy energy. Yeah. Anyway, we'll be back after the break. Okay, welcome back to The Antidote. We have a special guest today. Who is it, Amy? Our guest today is a poet, mental health advocate, and author of the instant New York Times bestselling memoir, I'm Telling the Truth But I'm Lying. She was a featured poet on HBO's Deaf Poetry Jam for five seasons and toured with the company for their Tony Award-winning Broadway show. In addition, she has opened shows for Grammy Award-winning artists such as India Ari, Luther Vandross, and Alicia Keys. She also created Hashtag No Shame Day, an initiative for those of African descent to share their stories of mental health with no judgment. Tell that to my parents. Please welcome one of my favorite voices on what's left of Twitter, Bossy Ikpi. Hey! Woo, we did hey. it! <laughs> hey, girl, hey! <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And I hope you're having a great week so I far. I am. Thank you. You know, she is very impressive, isn't she? But we aren't here to talk about your many, many, many accomplishments, Bossy. We're here to get deep. Yes, let's check in first. How are you feeling today? Like, for real, no small talk. Is there anything weighing on you in life? Feeling good, feeling bad? Ah! <sighs> Today is has been a, a bad day. Um, it was oh, no. a very low energy day. Yeah, I'm very in tune with my emotions. I have to be yeah. because, you know, mental health. And yeah. uh, so yesterday mm-hmm. I felt myself getting slower and slower. So I got off mm-hmm. of Twitter. Mm-hmm. I focused on like the little bit of work that I found joy in, not the stuff that was stressing me out. So I did that. And um, yeah, I, I give myself no more than 48 hours to feel a certain way before I'm like, all right, action. Do we need meds? Oh, wow. Do we need to call somebody? Do we need to go outside? Mm-hmm. So so today is my last day of feeling low. And then tomorrow we'll, we'll see how it goes. Oh, that's so fascinating. You give yourself time to really sit in it and then say, okay, let me call somebody. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like, I feel like emotions are important. So whatever you feel is okay. It's the depth with which you feel it and what mm-hmm. that feeling does to like the rest of your life and the rest of your day. For a long time after I was diagnosed bipolar 2 disorder, um, I was really afraid of emotions. Like too happy, mm-hmm. check it. Too low, check it. 
Um, Mm -hmm. And then over time, I've learned that it's okay to feel anything that you feel. It's just what do those feelings lead to? What happens after the feeling? I've learned to just sit in whatever I feel and and give myself permission to feel it all the way through. If I need to cry, I'll cry. If I can't cry, I'll watch something that makes me cry. I relate to that so much because I, too, give myself a couple days to languish in that. And then after that, I'm just like, okay, I have to like do my gratitude practice, make sure that I'm meditating, make sure I started with a new therapist this week. So it's like, I I fully, fully feel that like, it's important not to shut the emotion down, but to allow yourself to have it. And give it a name, you know, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when we feel things that intensely, we're also afraid to name it. Mm-hmm. So I can say, oh, I have this project that I need to do. And then if you can't put a name to it, then you you figure mm-hmm. it out. You know what I mean? And I don't mean that in a dismissive way. I mean that like we are afraid to, to name it. We're afraid to say this is the thing because we think it's not that important. I shouldn't be upset mm-hmm. about this thing. But yeah, you should. If that's what you're mm-hmm. feeling, that's what you're feeling. I absolutely love that. Like giving it a name and being okay with that being the thing that's stressing you out. And the thing is, you can ignore all you want, what the reason is, but eventually you have to come to terms with the thing. Like whether it's like, oh, I lost this job or I didn't, that project wasn't completed. Whatever the thing is, it's like name it so that you can move through Mm -hmm. it. Move through it. I feel like that's like the name of the game. Move through it. So um, this show is called The Antidote because life is hard and we all need different antidotes to deal with the bullshit of this world. <laughs> so what would you say is your antidote? In other words, what is something non-work related that's bringing you joy this month, this week, this year, this very short year? <laughs> I didn't even have to think about this. Have you guys heard of the Oculus? It's the VR Oh yeah, that thing. Headset. You can like work out with it and stuff. Yes, yes. So there's a fitness thing called Supernatural. Mm-hmm. And... They have like boxing and then this other thing. And then they have like meditation. And I've been doing the boxing. I've never hit anybody in my life. <laughs> I, am, <laughs> I don't fight like, for I'm real. Not a fighter type. <laughs> I don't fight for real. But in that game, I am boxing. I am doing it. And it is such a good feeling to be able to physically get out Ooh. your aggression. Mm-hmm. And for those 20 minutes, 30 minutes, however long I spend in there. I am locked in. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've seen changes in my body. And I I feel stronger. Mm -hmm. I feel so much stronger. I feel so much more confident in like just the way that I move. Mm -hmm. So this helps when I'm trying to get my numbers up or I'm trying to like get my endurance up, stuff like that. I get dressed now. You know, if I'm just going to Target or if I'm just going to Costco, I, you know, I'm able to to get in my clothes again. Because when you throw on sweats because you've gained weight, for me personally... I'm also saying mm-hmm. I'm not trying. And yeah. so yeah. to be able to get to a point where I'm just able to like pull on a pair of jeans and put on a, 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 a sweater and, and like some shoes and really feel like I'm in my body yeah. um, and I, I'm, I'm presenting a healthier version of myself to the world mm-hmm. because I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder during COVID. Oh, I was in the hospital. Like this is a wig, y'all. My hair was falling out. Like my, I'm bald right now. And it was so much mm. that was affecting the way I saw myself mm. and felt about myself yeah. that the very least I could do, like, what can I control? I can work out. Yeah. You know, I can yep. get dressed every day when I'm leaving mm-hmm. the house. Little things to make you feel better. And, and for me, what kicked that off 
off was getting fit to get right with myself. Yeah, I'm I'm so happy you shared that because it does something to you mentally that you're not putting on clothes mm-hmm. every day. Like, and there was a part of me that after a while I was like, today I'm going to dress for work. <laughs> Even though I'm like at the computer, I would wear the same shorts every day because no one could see my lower half. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this, 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 this isn't good. <laughs> I'm like it just does something. No, to it's you, it's so. it's weird. I still do wear a lot of like that loungy stuff, but I have all these clothes mm-hmm. that I can wear now, like when I'm actually out with people. Out. And yeah. So it makes me excited for um like going out and stuff. So what is your proudest non-career related accomplishment? This is so gross. And I really dislike people who do this. <laughs> Let me preface what? that. I, I have a really cool kid. Aww, my my son gross. is... Aww. It's gross. It's <laughs> disgusting. I hate it when your personality is your mom. Like, congratulations. Relax. <laughs> like, I, I don't like that. I, I've got other things going on. Raising a child in a pandemic, that is a huge accomplishment. Ooh, you did that. I realized during the pandemic that, yes, I love him because he's my you know, child or whatever. Right. But I like him. He's funny. Mm. He's got like this really weird sense of humor, but it's like a legit sense of humor. Like he's, he's yeah. real life funny. He's not like, oh, this kid is funny. He's real life funny. Yeah. And I really- I love that. He's not, oh, this kid is <laughs> Cause you know, little kids like, like, oh, funny. you know, you're yeah, like, oh, exactly. you're so What do the dogs say to the cat? Hello. <laughs> and you're like, exactly. that's not a real joke. And you know, he's got great timing, <laughs> but he's just a really well-rounded person. He's an athlete, but he's the sweetest kid in the world. And I feel like, I had a little something no, to do with No, you have everything to do with it. How old is he? Yeah, he's 16 now. Oh, my God. He's 16 now. Yeah, I'm like, 16? In my head, I was imagining Yeah, I was imagining like an 8-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, he's, that's another thing about him. Like, he's an, he's an actual child. Like, he's, he's yeah. a pure, like, he's, he's his age. Mm-hmm. And I see him mature, but I see him maturing at the rate that makes sense. Has having a child changed the way you've approached your mental health as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the beginning of his life, I feel think I wasn't there. Like I was there, Mm. but I wasn't um, because I didn't have a full grasp on what was going on with me. I was hospitalized for the second time when he was three or four Mm. years old. And I think Mm -hmm. that it took me a long time to accept the fact that it's okay to want to be around for other people Mm. until you want to be there for yourself. So I wanted yeah. to have to be around for him for I'm really close to my my siblings and and I and I kept thinking about what it would look like for them if I wasn't around in the I don't want them to get hurt. I don't want them to be hurt. I don't want them to hurt for a long mm-hmm. time cuz I know how I would feel if something happened to one of my siblings or to my mom or to my dad. Mm-hmm. So I had to say, well, I have to be around for him to do X mm-hmm. and I have to be around for this to happen. And so once I I I projected it I started walking towards mm. it. And then all of a sudden mm. I wanted to be there, be here because I wanted to be here. And um, yeah. I make sure that he doesn't feel responsible for my moods because I don't mm-hmm. want him to get attached to if I do X, mom will feel Y. Mm-hmm, right. I, I want him to be able to live his life for himself as opposed to I got to make sure my mom's straight. Like I don't, I don't want him to, to ever think that. Can we talk just a little bit, just how you got to a place where you knew I need to be hospitalized or is that something that someone said for you? Uh, the first time somebody said it to me um, and the first time mm-hmm. was was when I was first diagnosed. That first year was really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in the book, I, I say that I, I was going to take my medication for 30 days, like antibiotics, and I'd be cured, and I'd go on with my life, and that didn't happen. Right. And um, I ended up hospitalized. But the second time, I made the decision because I could feel that I wasn't okay, and I knew that I wanted to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I needed to get to a place that the only thing I had to think about was getting better. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I went in like... These are the medications that I take. I think this needs to be, you know, up a certain amount. This has to happen. That had to happen. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, it was, I was focused. It was like camp. I was there to, to do a thing. And that was to get stabilized and then learn how to stay stable. Mm-hmm. I had another really severe depressive episode in 2016. And I was fairly certain I was not going to make it out of that mm. one. But again, I had to think about my family and think about, you know, yeah. the people that I love and the people that, that that love me. I had to convince myself that they actually did love me. Mm, right. <laughs> to lie to myself, to believe that until I started believing it. And so I was able mm-hmm. to avoid the hospital that time. But I did do a lot of work to make sure that I mm-hmm. protect myself in that I don't get into situations that I know have been historically difficult for me or dangerous for me or um yeah. it's like I, I it's like um I'm 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 playing around with book two playing it's not a ooh, mm, relax ooh, you heard it here first just just playing exclusive world star. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yes um but I it, it, when I'm write, I'm writing notes and thinking about what I, I want to write about but like I'm I I think about the fact that a lot of my manic or or hypomanic or depressive episodes were triggered by relationships mm. and not so much mm. the relationship but like I went in knowing something was going to happen and I needed it to happen so I'm like you you're terrible I need a depressive episode. Let's go. In, in the first book, I say it's easier to tell somebody your heart is broken. And they will, they'll, they'll get that. Like, oh, heartbreak. I understand that. Um, as opposed to my brain isn't working properly. I don't know why. And that's why I'm sad. People don't know what to do with mm-hmm. that, but they know what to do with heartbreak. And I knew how to explain that. I knew how to write about that. But once I became healthier, I start to feel like somebody trying to stay sober, mm. right? So right. I had to be very careful, not only about the romantic relationships, like platonic relationships that I like yeah, and, and friendships yeah. that I was in where I would get completely immersed in a friendship and what do, what do you need what do you do you need help with something can I help you do this thing do you need this and that and and I'm like pouring myself into another person to avoid myself mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. once I recognized Oof. that I had to <laughs> nah, I had to I had to cool. really decide what was more important and so like a like an addict, I have to stay sober. So I'm very, very aware of everything around me. And I'm very aware of how people make me feel. I'd love to know, like, it's been 10 years, almost 10 years since your first diagnosis. And a lot has changed in social media. There are now so many voices, yours included, Bossy, that have been so powerful about talking about mental health and mental illness. And I'm curious what you found to be productive and are there certain uh, resources that you found that like almost like, oh, I wish this existed back then or things that you might point people to that are sort of like a positive change that I've seen in social media around mental health. When I first started talking about it, I felt like the only person. I hesitate to say it like this because I I don't know, but I felt like there weren't a lot of people um, having the, especially Black people, especially Black women. Mm -hmm. Uh, So now I think that so many people have 
have been open about what they're experiencing, that at any given time, if you wonder about how you feel, you can find somebody who's been speaking about it and you can find somebody who's been writing about it. You can find you can find TV shows that touch on it. Like even the way that Insecure touched on on mental health without having to be like, ah, right. oh, Lawrence is depressed. Mm-hmm. Like, but you knew right. you could recognize and you could you could infer or even when they had a, a character like bipolar, it was done in a yeah. way that if you look at it and you know it, it makes sense and you can see yourself in the actions without it being a a very special mm-hmm. episode. And I think that once we start normalizing yes. it and saying these are just the way that people are and they still need to to love and they still need to to make decisions that could affect them in, in, in big ways or small ways and they have to really consider what's healthy for them, what's good for them. Being able to turn on TV and see that, I think is something that would have changed everything for me in the very beginning. I know mm. that I've made a conscious decision not to just talk about when I'm down or when I'm 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 I'm, yes. I'm manic. Like I talk about meds and I talk about the fact that it takes a lot of work to be a healthy person and it takes more work than it does for like the average, you know, healthy brained person. There are things that I have to think about. Like if I'm spending too much money, I'm like, am I just being irresponsible or is this a, a hypomanic? I have to think about these things. And if I'm being irresponsible, mm-hmm. I'll just continue being irresponsible. But but if I'm if <laughs> I like, know I'm like, it's fine. But if I'm not, I have mm-hmm. to I have to do something about that. And I want people to to not sit in the diagnosis so much and start talking about about what healing looks like and what it looks like Ooh. to move around the world, always having to consider your health. And that doesn't mean like it is hard, but yeah. it's also hard because it has to be because you're trying to get to a different you know, stage. Everything good is hard. I've noticed <laughs> yeah. that like everything yeah. worth having is difficult. Nothing great comes no. easy. Absolutely. But I love that just like what healing looks like because it's process. Mm-hmm. It's not a destination. I remember going to therapy and being like, wow, I found out all my all my bullshit. And then like (laughs) days or sessions later being like, hey doc, I'm back on my bullshit. And then literally realizing I'm like, oh, I got to work on me for the rest of the day. Yeah, you don't get a day off. It's like, it's like this shit is exhausting. How come come nobody said that? They never tell you that part. I I just wanted to go back to what you said earlier about staying sober, like feeling like it's kind of like staying sober. And I've never heard it framed like that. Um, I'm... I don't have bipolar, but I have what's called dystymia, which is like a low-grade depression that can spike Mm. up to real depression. And the most days I'm like maintaining, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. but I love that analogy of staying sober because when you go through AA or NA or any of these things, they let you know that it's a lifelong journey. And I feel like with mental health, I do feel like, we're not fully getting that message that they think that, okay, Mm. just take your Prozac or take, you know, your Zoloft or whatever. And it's fine now. It's just like, no, it's like, it's a something that you constantly have to watch and be vigilant about. Um, Yeah. And, And I'm also very deliberate about, uh, saying that I have or I live mm-hmm. with as opposed to I am. Cause I think that, that, mm. that when people sort of, um, take the diagnosis on and decide that if they accept it, that means that they become it. And and I and I think that right. that that has to change. In that we, it's something you live yeah. with. It's something that that's just yeah. it's just part of your life, and you have to figure out how to live with this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every 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 step towards the thing is just as important as the thing that you're headed mm-hmm. towards. I want people to be easier 
on themselves and then harder on themselves in that you deserve to work hard for the things that you want. Mm, I like that. You deserve to work hard for the things that you want. That's cool. Yeah. Question. On Twitter, you mentioned that one of your behavioral goals for this year is to stop saying the phrase, I'm sorry, but um, when you can't have to cancel something. How's that been going? It's been going really well. It's easier when I look at it and I see, oh, I'm, I'm typing that and I can backspace and, and think about <laughs> and rephrase. Yeah, yeah. You're like, let me edit because I want to cut it too. But it's, it's, been going, it's been going really well because I think that I know why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And because I, I've pinpointed why I'm doing it, it's easier to stop living your life in an apology. Mm-hmm. And I think that we get sort of used to apologizing. I, I know I got used to apologizing. I, I'm so sorry I had to cancel that, you know, because I, I, I couldn't get out of bed, but I can't say that part. Mm-hmm. I can just apologize mm-hmm. for not being present or apologize. And I think that it takes away from when, when I really do need to apologize. And I always feel that way too. Like I, I'm always apologizing for not coming to this or that. And so Sometimes it is just sort of, Mm -hmm. I need to be in bed or I need, I just don't have the emotional or social energy, you know, as, as an introverted person, it's sometimes it takes a lot for me to rev up and be around, especially people that I'm not as close to. Um, So sometimes I find myself making excuses or saying sorry, but um, I really love how you framed that, that I shouldn't be apologizing for just needing a day to myself. I'm a introverted extrovert like I, mm-hmm. I I go in and out but I always need recovery time mm-hmm. so somebody invited me to do something and I was like I I, I don't have the recovery time because mm-hmm. I have to do something else the very next day mm-hmm. so let's let's reschedule for when I don't have anything else to do for the next couple of days or however long it's gonna take to to come back from this yeah I yes and it's something that I actually am working on with my therapist about like building in recovery time before and after stress events you know like heavy work work periods or like four friends that I love have birthdays in a row or whatever. It's like, okay, what's your recovery time before or after that? Um, yeah. But yeah, that's great. Um, well, you are a very accomplished author yourself, but what's the last book that you read that you really, really loved? I could use a recommendation. So romance novels. Oh, I love them. <laughs> You're I'm a, such a huge romance novel fan. I'm a fan. Do you know Alyssa, Alyssa Cole? Yes, I've read every book she's ever written. Like Duke by Default, I read that. Prince on Paper, I read that. The Prince series, I really, those are the first ones that I that I read. And what I like about Alyssa Cole is that she she puts like, like, like neurodivergent characters. Mm-hmm. She definitely does. I don't does. really love that term, oh, but cool. like, and she just kind of inserts. It's not a big deal. It's just what I was talking about before. It just they just exist in this world and they deserve love yeah. and mm-hmm. they get it. And um, but yeah, Hope Divided. I think that's the last fun book I read, and I was I reread that. So also, I'll shout out one other romance girl that I really like is Tiffany Patterson, and she writes like romance, but then sometimes something goes bad, and then. The, they Ooh. get kidnapped and then you have to rescue them. Uh, I really love her burlesque series and her Townsend series. Oh, I read for Ooh. keeps. Mm-hmm. I have Aaron's. That was I good, read, right? Okay. Early in the in the pandemic, I was flying through these suckers, man. I was like, oh, a new one every day to the point where I forgot that I I, I read these. I was I was in it. 
Ah, bossy. Uh, We feel so much better now that we've talked to you. This has been a delightful conversation. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And do you have anything coming up that you want to tell us about? Anything you'd like to plug? It can even be something you love, not something you created. I have an an audio book coming out. Yeah, during the pandemic, I did a book for Audible. And we just finished the copy edits last week. And I'll I'll be recording it in a couple of weeks. And it's about the time I spent in Nigeria a couple of years ago. It's always about mental health. That's all I I can ever write about. I don't know anything anything else. (laughs) Um, So it's about that. It's called uh, Home Rarely Feels Like This. Ooh, that's yeah. a beautiful title. Thank you. And where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I am Bossy World on on all forms. Bossy, B-A-S-S-E-Y, World. And I make the occasional joke that ends up on the shade room and makes everybody mad at me. But That sounds like you're doing God's work. <laughs> and you handle it with a plan. <laughs> you handle it very well. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Bossy. This Thanks. was Awesome. awesome. Talk to you soon. Okay, to close this out, we're doing our creative tap-in, which is our segment about creativity. Amy, are you ready for this week's quote? I'm ready. Creativity is more than just being different. Anybody can plan weird. That's easy. What's hard is to be as simple as Bach. Making the simple awesomely simple. That's creativity. And that's by Charles Mingus. I'll read it one more time. Creativity is more than just being different. Anybody can plan weird. That's easy. What's hard to be as simple as Bach. Making the simple awesomely simple. That's creativity. Interesting. Charles Mingus. Okay, Charles. Um, It's not... I, I... I do agree with anybody can plan weird. That's easy. I do agree with that. And I think being weird with no um, purpose, with your art, with no purpose or story is kind of like a missed opportunity. Um, Mm -hmm. I won't maybe say a waste of time, but I think it's a a missed opportunity. Um, It's nice to have a reason or like a story or something. Um, But I don't know, making the simple awesomely simple, that's creativity. I think John Steinbeck is very creative. Like Of Mice and Men is a very tersely written book. But then also, I also like it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Like I like verbose idiots. So I don't I don't know if I fully agree with him, but I do think that creativity is more than just being different. I do agree mm-hmm. with that part because intention, I think, must underlie what makes you creative. And I think sometimes talent is figuring out what that intention is. Like sometimes mm-hmm. you can be good with words but not really know what to do with it. Um, and in a way that's creative, but I think having some intention or like purpose or something behind it maybe is what refines it into talent. So I half agree, but I don't think all creativity is simple. I think it is hard to be as simple as Bach. It is hard to have brevity, but I don't think Charles Dickens is not creative because he's long-winded. So I don't know. I don't know if I agree with this one, but I, I think the essence of it is nice. What do you think? What does it make you think, Grace? Uh, well, first of all, if you guys don't know who Charles Mingus is, um, I just wanted to give a little context. He was a composer and he died before either of us were born. So. Damn, he's black too? <laughs> the reason why I picked this quote is there's two things that it made me think. So the first part of it, creativity is more than just being different, is that I remember just being in high school and stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you're like a baby artist and you're like, I want to do, I want to act. I will die if I don't act. Or like, if I want to dance, I want to paint, whatever it is, like you sometimes 
perform creativity in a way that's super annoying because you're just like uh, an actress is like this or a dancer is like this and you kind of perform it yeah even though you're not you're spending more time performing it than actually doing the thing uh, uh which uh, uh it just made me think of like all the musical theater kids that we would go to like the movie theater and be singing rent in the middle of the um <laughs> in the middle of the, the ticket line and i was Annoying just like fuck. that was so much because that's what we thought we had to be in order to like be considered artsy and the other second part of the quote was just about me as a early writer is that when i started writing tv and film, I realized that I had to learn how to write how people talk. So it, there's a more, mm -hmm. there's a simpler way of speaking. Um, and I still have to struggle against that right now still, because sometimes I'll be like, oh, that line is a banger, like that joke or whatever. What if I said it like this? But sometimes I'm like, nobody would say it like that, Grace. <laughs> like you have to like make it sound like it's coming out of a human being's mouth. But um, for the most part, I write things that are pretty grounded. So I have to sometimes pull back on lines that sound a little too written or too flowery. So the part where he says, Making the simple awesomely simple, that's creativity. Okay, yeah. It just reminded me of that instinct that I had when I first started writing that I constantly have to remind myself of to keep the dialogue simple um, but meaningful, which is, is, is hard <laughs> to do. Yeah, yeah. I really, I, I agree with you, especially with screenwriting. I had to do the same thing. It's like my like action lines used to be like paragraphs. And then I was like, you ain't writing a novel, girl. How do you say this in three <laughs> sentences? And it's like pairing it back. I, I do agree with that. And even though it, it gives me context because he's a musician, I get it. He's not just mm -hmm. like playing all these crazy notes to be like, I can. It's like, oh, let's actually like tell a story. I, I should have looked up who he was. Thank you for educating me on our elders. <laughs> no but I do really appreciate this quote in the context of what we do a lot more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for listening to The Antidote. We hope that this injected a little bit of joy into your week. I know it did mine. How about you, Amy? I feel good, girl. We should do this again sometime. Oh, we'll be here next week. And in the meantime, if you'd like to follow us on social, follow me, Grace, at Gracieact. That's G-R-A-C-Y-A-C-T. And follow me, Amy, at A-M-Y-A-N-I-O-B-I. -I. And follow the show at The Antidote Pod. That's the with two E's. If you like feeling good about yourself, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Goodbye. And also get up, change your clothes, drink your water, and work it out. The Antidote is hosted by us, Amy Aniobi and Grace Edwards. The show's production team includes senior producer Sierra Spragley-Ricks and associate producer Jess Panzetta. Our executive producer is Erica Krauss and our editor is Erica Janik. Sound mixing by Alex Simpson. Digital production by Miju Sayuni. Talent booking by Marion Ways. Our theme music was composed and produced by TT the Artist and Cosmo the Truth. APM studio executives in charge are Chandra Kabati, Alex Schaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Concept creator by Amy Aniobi and Grace Edwards. Send us your antidotes at antidoteshow.org. And remember to follow us on social media at The Antidote Pod. That's the with two E's, y'all. The Antidote is a production of American Public Media. Woo woo!